Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing how to build a culture of life. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay, it's again good to be able to be with you and to reflect on on some of these uh, issues and, and concerns that we have when it comes to you know, issues of life, and, and it's an important time. And as I have mentioned before, is that uh, I tend to take a, a much broader uh, view and perspective on that because the issues are so important, and they and they cover just a vast, vast amount of, of material and, and what we are to be about when it really comes to be people and a community of life. Um, last Our last podcast, you know, dealt with the issue or the document of Laudato Si. Um, because when it comes to Pope Francis, um, as, as, as it did with Pope John Paul II, is that he wrote his encyclical, The Gospel of Life. And that encyclical is an important encyclical and was part of what was built upon when uh, Pope Francis then wrote his encyclical, Laudato Si. He expanded on it, uh, talking about not only the gift of life when it comes to abortion, but when it comes to you know dealing with people as a whole, when it comes to being able to uh, treat each other with, with a sense of mutual respect, when it comes to just dealing with the earth. And as he would say, uh, and we reflected on a bit, was that how we treat the earth is very much reflected in how we treat one another and vice versa. So there are some really important uh, issues and, and things that we have, to, we have to deal with and we have to be able to address if we are to be those, uh, those people who, who truly are people of life. Yeah, it's almost like it shouldn't be Respect Life Month. That should be How to Live Month. <laughs> yes, yes, you're, you're right. That it should be something that is all year, every year, mm-hmm. every day, every minute, every second in, in how we treat one another. That, and, and I think that's, in so many ways, what I see uh, Pope Francis really trying to point at when he talks about the need for the dialogue, for the conversations to, to take place, because for him it's not just about a particular country. It would be easy to point to one particular country, whether it's our country or another country, and say, you're bad, you, you are need to do more, we all need to do more, and... So for Pope Francis, it's recognizing then the doing more has to take place not only in the United States, but in, you know, in all the Americas and in all the continents, in all the world, because this is the only one we got. Mm-hmm. Anyway, at this point, it's the only one we got. And, and what we do or choose not to do in the future can and will make a huge difference about where we go in time to come and what kind of society that we will build, and how we are going to engage one another when it comes to issues of life, again, that that, that span span the spectrum. Mm -hmm. From A to Z, it spans the entire spectrum, and and it's not simply about uh, abortion. Again, an important issue, but has to be bigger than that. And I think that's part of what uh, Pope Francis points to and, and to the chagrin of a few people who feel that it should only be very focused. And, and yet I'm, I'm really glad that 
he is not uh, he has not in a sense been held to that, but uh, has said no, it has to be bigger, which then brings us, you might say, to uh, what we really want to talk about uh, today, and, and that is how do we begin to build a culture of life? Yeah, I think our first. First of October, you were saying how it's a culture of death or someone yes, said that. Yes, that's what John, Pope John Paul II spoke about, okay. culture of death. And so he wrote the gospel of life mm, you know, in, in, order, response, to in response to that, what gotcha. he saw as a culture of death. Okay. And not just America, but all over. All over. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was all over. And he pointed that at you know, uh, uh, political approaches, uh, economic approaches, uh, agricultural approaches, that he saw that these, and, and when it came to uh, uh, part of what his, one of the emphasis was for him, of how you, rather than using science for life, we have used science in order to create what he would say is a culture of death. And certainly against the most fragile of, of those who have life, and that is the unborn. He mm-hmm. would, and then he would also point to our seniors, you know, those uh, when it came to euthanasia and, and a number of issues like that. So then, you know, we, we started to look at that. And uh, so we talked first about in general terms, and we, we, you know, jumped into the gospel of life, which mm-hmm. we just mentioned a bit. And then we talked more about, to build on that, the uh, document or the, uh, the, uh, the document uh, by Pope Francis, <laughs> All of a sudden, I lost the encyclical. The encyclical by Pope Francis. We we explored that with Hannah a bit mm-hmm. in recognizing that it was Pope Francis, like I said, built upon the other documents that went before, going back all the way to documents written by uh, Pope John Paul, Pope John the Twenty Third, not John Paul. Again, Pope John same names. The Twenty Third, yes when it came to Pachamenteris and, and other documents like that, in saying, you know, this has been something that's been thought about and reflected on for decades. And I believe now what we are gleaning from Pope Francis is, is a tremendous amount of wisdom that we have that speaks of just how important, how vast, how diverse this issue is and must be seen as if we are truly to you know, uh, if we're really to make some headway in becoming more and more a culture of life, as Pope John Paul II would speak of, and not a culture of death, and to do so on multiple fronts. It can't be just in one particular area, but on multiple fronts, and then we will be able to make some headway when all of us take part of that responsibility whether yourself or myself, that we take personal responsibility of what we can do, as Hannah mentioned a little bit before, of what we can do in order to help create a different atmosphere, mm-hmm. in order to create a greater respect for all life, to create a greater respect for issues of dealing with hunger, uh, medicine, um, uh, poverty, uh, just so many, all of these issues. And each of us, each of us is able to do something. We just need to be a little bit more creative sometimes and a little more reflective so that we take it seriously and saying, here's what I can't do, uh, or I can do. 
uh, as, as you had mentioned it a couple of times uh, in saying, it's not being able to do everything well and perfectly, but let's do what each of us can, even if it's something small. Mm-hmm. Let's do that because all of those small things make a difference. All of those, you know, all of those little actions can create a massive action, you know, uh, when it comes to literally changing some of the world in which we we live and being able to create a better world, as we would say, a world that truly is centered on life rather than on destruction. And that's, again, jumping into a little bit more than, than how do we do that? I mean, yeah, how do we do how that? How do we do that? Because there is a way to do that. Ooh, let's we, learn. We can't just say, We're well, going to learn together, people. Yes, we are. You know, we can't. I'll put it out there and say, well, somebody should do something. Yes, and that somebody is us. And there are some very specific things. Um, and this, a lot of this material comes out of the uh, Respect Life material that can be found online. And that there's a link, I believe, that you have put to some of that material. I will put one up yeah, to okay. this on this podcast. Because it really, it does give us some very concrete ideas uh, and this is just a little bit. Some of this will be a little more general than others, but there are some very specific ideas that one can do, not only just for in October, but what one can do uh, in January and all of the months, you might say. <laughs> all 12 of them. Yes, that we start to take those steps and start to make these steps a way of life, not just a special action because, you know, I feel guilty right now and so i got to do something, <laughs> but to make this a regular way of life. All right, so what's something we can do? Okay, we need to start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. That is, that's, I've heard the song somewhere like that. Okay. <laughs> to be able to create a culture of life, we need, and this may again sound like really heady stuff, but it's, it's not really, is that we need to first consider who are we? Oh man. I mean, that sounds philosophical. It is. I don't like philosophy. But but it's but it's part of us, and you gotta start there. We have to have some thoughts about, and and to be able for a person, whether you know, uh, whatever degrees or not degrees or whatever you are, at some point, somewhere, somehow, in some manner, shape, or form. And I have seen some folks who who hardly are out of grade school, and those who have had PhDs, you know, up the yin-yang, is that they, you start and say, you have a thought and saying, well, who am I in the first place? And when you can start there, is that it, it jumps to, first and foremost, we were created by God. Good, you're giving us the answer. Yes. Okay. Who are we? We are those who are created by God, and we are made to be in a relationship with him. And the source of our dignity and, and the reason why we are able to do some of that culture life building, you might say, is because the source of our dignity is the fact that we are loved by God. There is no other ultimate source. We are loved by God. We are a grace in God's eyes. God, in no one, did God step back and say, oops, screwed up on that one is that what God creates is good. We are created by this God. We are good. It is the source of our dignity. The end, right? That's it. 
No, I mean, that's all we got to do. God, oh. We're created by God. God loves us, right? The end. That's the first step. Oh, okay. First step. First step. We continue with that. Because we're created by God. Uh -huh. Let me make this very clear. This sounds like a proof. Is this a proof? What kind of? Because of this. Because we're created by God. Okay? We are called to be in relationship with God. All right? We're not, we're, we haven't lost anybody yet. We're to be in relationship with God. And once we are in relationship with God, even in a little bit, we grow in this closeness. And the way we grow in this closeness, in this marvelous relationship with God, daily prayer, spending time with the scriptures, sacraments. These are all ways that we grow in our relationship with God. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to discover the secret to life. We don't have to create world peace. Those are all wonderful things. But where we start first is to recognize we are loved by God. Because we are loved by God, we are to be in relationship with God. And this relationship with God is built, formed, transformed, whatever, it is through prayer, scriptures, and sacraments. We believe those are the key ways that we grow in this relationship. That's who we are. That's our identity. First step. Second step <laughs> is our mission as Christians, okay? Remember, created by God, intimacy with God, to know when one knows, let's even take it out of the realm of God. When one knows that they are loved by someone, we are changed. When we know that we are loved unconditionally, and it can be a spouse, it can be a deep, deep relationship. To a degree, it can be by a pet. Loved unconditionally. But when we know we are loved and another knows that they are loved, it changes us and it changes our view of the world. Think how important you had just uh, done Matilda in the show. You were, yep. Think how important is what it was for people you knew, people that loved you and you loved, how important it was for them to be at the show. It's not that you couldn't have done it without them. <laughs> true, okay? true. Of course you could have. And you could have done, you would have done it very, very well. But there was a piece added because people you loved and love you, and you knew that at the depth of your heart, mm -hmm. it made a difference. Made a difference. True, true. Always, you try a little harder. Yeah. You can't always describe what that is, but you're right. We try a little harder. We, we, we focus a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's because, you know, we don't want to screw up, but it's more, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that, is that something happens when you see that. You see it all the time with kids when they see their parent, mom and dads, grandmas or grandpas, and how important it is for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas to say to me when they reflect with me a little bit, you know, I needed to go to that basketball game or I needed to go to the hockey game or I needed to go to the ballet. I needed to go whatever it might be. And sometimes it's a two-year-old that is in a tutu and, and can hardly move. Those are the best. Uh, yeah, they are. 
but how important it is for them to be there for the person who is there and for the child, the adult, whomever mm-hmm. is there. That's what happens when we when we start to look at the realization of what can happen when we are loved by God. And there are way too many people who are afraid that God doesn't love them. And my theory is there are way more people who are terrified that God does. And they are and, and as a consequence, they are afraid to let themselves be loved that much. It changes us. Sometimes we don't want to be changed. Sometimes we're afraid to be changed. Sometimes we're terrified of being changed. And it's why sometimes people won't even enter relationships, maybe because their heart was broken or whatever it might be, is they simply do not want to go through that again. And yet what we understand and realize is that when we don't go through that again, we in a sense stop loving and we shut people out. And we all know in some ways what happens when we shut people out. And people who literally can die because they are not loved or believe that they are not loved. And the terrible things sometimes that happen because people believe that they are not loved. So knowing that we are loved by God then elicits a response on our part and it impels us in many ways. It impels is is the word. It impels us to share that love with others. Again, Think of, you, think of something that you love or others love is that I love what I do. And I'm not afraid to talk about it, as you know. I'm not afraid to talk about <laughs> anything, but I'm not afraid to talk about it. Uh, when people, you know, I, I remember when my, some of my siblings, they met their spouses and, and I hadn't met them yet. And they start telling me about their spouses. People who, who get engaged and, and they start telling you about how excited they are. Uh, grandparents or parents who start talking about their baby. And I might think, oh my God, would you please stop talking about that baby? <laughs> However, they can't because the love relationship impels them to share something about this. It's that being impelled is that, that moves us then into action and, 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 and it helps us then to, to follow in the footsteps. To saying, if, if God does this for me, I want to do the same for others to the best of my abilities. That was, you know, just a few weeks ago, it talked about let's beset the just one. That was in the, in the scriptures, one of the first readings. Well, the just one, a definition of the just one, was one who loved like God loved. And so they would love with unconditionally. They would love you know, for, with forgiveness, compassion, mercy, all of those things, that it was to love like God loved. That's basically what we were impelled to do, mm-hmm. to love like God loves. Okay, so as we move forward with all of this, then, <laughs> and then we, we, you know, we, we jump into then that idea of, of accepting the invitation of Jesus, you know, come and follow me. Do what I do. I'm going to show you. Um, he didn't just talk about it. He wrote no books that we know. He didn't send them to a library. Uh, he didn't have them write books necessarily. Uh, they eventually, some of them did because I think they were probably impelled uh, to do so. Gospels. Yes. But they were impelled to do so because they wanted to share what they had come to know. Again, that's part of the impelling. And what moves us forward then to do, you might say, what Christ did uh, to follow in his, in his steps. 
And so it is Jesus then, when we think about all of this, is that Jesus who invites us then, how do we evangelize? Which, in a, another way of saying, how do we create that culture of witness, that culture of life? And so Christian life, lived with charity and faith, is, is the most effective form to do that. So how then do we begin to meet that, you know, to live that in charity and faith? Again, goes to some of the beginning is, and we are going to get there. <laughs> it's a lot of prep for the answer to this question. True, but it's all part of the answer. It's to allow Jesus, or actually let's to allow ourselves to encounter Jesus on a daily basis. And when we recognize the love relationship is there, we follow a person whose love changes our lives. So we want others to experience the transforming love. Sometimes in my conversations with you, Lindsay, it is evident of how much you love theater. And you share that. You share stories about that. You share experiences. And you share your excitement when you see a show and sometimes a disappointment if you can't see it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've talked about some shows that we've seen. Mm -hmm. It is obvious. And when you do that, you share more than just information. You share something about yourself. I grow in an understanding of who this woman named Lindsay is. <laughs> Man, this sounds deep. Well, it is. But it's not deep by being deep. It's deep by recognizing that these are the very simple ways that we begin to create that culture. Mm -hmm. When we think about what does it mean for you to, uh, to, follow, to follow Christ? And we can get all theological about that. But Paul would say in his introduction to Romans, he would say, we belong to Christ. He didn't say, I belong to the Roman party. He didn't say, I belong to the way, which is what they were called for a while. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, I belong to this political stance. He said, we belong to Christ. It says something about who he was and is, what he was about. And it said something in this introduction to the Roman community. It said something to them about who he was. So when you share things about, it's not just sharing information. It's sharing something. And I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. There are things I get really excited about and other <laughs> things not so much. I share something about myself, who I am as an individual, not just as a priest. That's a piece of who I am. Sure. But I'm more than that. And when I share certain things or whatever... It's, it, it, it helps people to understand me. And hopefully by sharing that, whether it's something about the gospel or something about church, that I elicit in a response from them and saying, I want you to experience what some of what I've experienced. I want you to know the church in a way that I have known the church. There, there's plenty of bad stuff about the church out there. We get that. We work with it all the time. But as you know and I know, there's a lot of good too. And sometimes we just need to, by the way we live and love and, and speak and such, we need to open people's eyes to that good so that they can see with new eyes. 
Here's, here, here's, here's an example. I remember going, um, driving through, you know, um, Illinois and Iowa and out to the West um, to, uh, uh, to visit some friends of ours that, that lived, in, uh, lived in Wyoming, in fact. He was a, a classmate of mine. Is this when you were younger or when? No, we were in uh, college together at okay. the time. And uh, so we were talking about the trip. Now, my friend, let's just say, grew up in the city. They were city from the moment they were born. Okay. Obviously, I was not from the city. <laughs> so anyway, we got to talking about... No, we've about, learned through your yes, talking on yes. this podcast, you are a farm boy. Is that so? What it was is that we got to talking about about this very kind of issues, and so the question was asked. Well, what did you see, you know, coming out? And my friend said, "Well, there was a lot of boring, you know, fields, and and uh, it might have been a scenic overlook, you know, uh, you know, little gopher hole." Uh, he said it was just a lot of dumb highway and a lot of sun. And there was nothing to see. He said, I wouldn't want to drive that ever in my life again. This is the city person. This was the city person. Okay. I said, <laughs> well, one, the corn is doing really well in this section. And you can tell where the corn, you know, was lacking water. It was really some drought areas. Two is that... Um, there were some uh, really good-looking steers that were very well filled out, and I suspect that they're going to be ready, you know, for processing probably in, in some time. <laughs> I talked about the, the grasses, you know, different types of grasses, alfalfa, timothy. I talked about wheat. I talked about barley. I talked about oats. I talked to, I, and, and, and they were just looking at me, <laughs> Like and, you were crazy? Yes. And he said, were you two on the same trip? I said, of course we were. He just didn't know what he was looking at. And that's a lot of times what we, to create a culture of life, have to do and, and, and are held accountable to do, you might say, of helping people to know what they're looking at. To help people know when they experience the power and the grace and the presence of God. Mm -hmm. I would say the vast majority of the people who are in church any day, at any time, many of them have had an experience of the divine presence. They just don't know it. They call it luck. They call it a chance. They call it by lots of different terms. But they won't call it by really what it is an experience of the divine presence of God. If more people recognized it for what it was, they would begin, I believe, to see God in a whole new way. And a lot of times it's just the fact we don't know what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And to create a culture of life is for us, because of our relationship with God, as it continues to grow, is to help open the eyes of those who may not see an event, a circumstance as being the hand of God, maybe they see it as just bad luck. Maybe they see it as just a chance or an opportunity. And rather than seeing it as a way to grow personally, is that they said, well, you know, we just won't worry about that. 
and I'll go on to something that will maybe make me more money. When by saying that, they talk about, you know, I want to be happy, but they're missing the path that will take them to that because they're caught up with other kinds of things. To create um, a culture of life, we have to stop, you know, having this identity crisis, you might say, and be able to stop measuring ourselves by false standards. How often do you find people, you know, measuring oneself by what we do, by our success, by our failures, by how others treat us, by the degree of pleasure, by our independence? These are all false standards because they, all of those can be taken away from us. You know, and, and I've done this myself, is that I will give a homily where 99% of the people are levitating. It was that great. <laughs> and one person criticizes. And I walk away thinking, oh, that really stunk. Mm -hmm. It's the loudest voice you yeah. hear. And, and, you know, to stop doing that to ourselves and recognize that the only thing that should somehow bring an identity to us, bring an identity to us, is the value and the worth that being created by God brings to us. That is something that cannot be taken ever, taken from anyone. That is something that is, doesn't go up and down depending on a good day or a bad day. That is something that doesn't depend on whether we made 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or no bucks. That is something that is always, always present to us. And when we stop measuring ourselves or have an identity crisis because of false you know, uh, those, those false standards, but judge by the only, only standard that counts, and that is God's standard, then we begin to create a culture that is, that is a culture of life. How does this play out? When you think about, um, the, the, the journey of the road to Emmaus. When Jesus encounters, or they encounter Jesus on the road, and they start talking, and they start even criticizing him, saying, are you the only one that hasn't heard? He doesn't say they're stupid, dumb, or go... What he says is that, wow, but think about all of this. And it says he goes back to the beginning and kind of retells the story in a new way is that he doesn't judge himself by what he does or doesn't know. He doesn't judge them by what they don't or don't know. He tells it the story in a new way. That's creating a culture of life because you begin to help people see something in a different way. There is a story that goes way back, and, I, and gosh, I can't, even, I can't remember where I read it. <clears throat> but it's about a particular leader of a of a, uh, let's say, a, a marauding tribe that <clears throat> came upon a person who had some great wealth and he stood by their front door gate, you might say, and said, I demand all your money. And so the person said, here, gave him his money. So they rode off. And the marauder, the leader said, well, that's pretty easy. So he came back and he said, I demand all your animals. The guy said, here, take them. They're yours. So he drives up. And so he comes back once more and he says, I demand all of the food you have in your stores. The gentleman says, here, take it. 
He comes back a fourth time and he brings back all the monies, all the foods, all the animals, all the crops. He brings it all back. He said, isn't it good enough or isn't, <coughs> is it a value? Why do you bring it back? And the, the marauding chief said, because I want from you what allows you to give it away so freely. And the wise man says, that I can't give you, but I can teach you. That's creating a culture of light. If someone sees me and sees that I, there is a great sense of joy in how I live as a priest or how I live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, and they see that it's genuine, and Jesus did this all the time. I mean, why is it that after, you know, 2,000 years, what we have is that you have a guy who didn't write anything down or anything like that, had 12 genuine followers, a few more, others who tagged along. Why are we still talking about him? He wasn't rich. He wasn't powerful, any of that. And yet we're still talking about him. He created a culture of life, of living, that people saw and basically said, I want what you have that allows you to live like that. And as others saw, it kept spreading and spreading and spreading. When we as a church are at our best, there is nothing we can accomplish. Not with politics, not with money, not with armies. We've tried all of that, and it obviously never worked. But when we as a church live genuinely and, and truly take that gospel to the world, there's nothing that stands in our way. That's creating a culture of life. It's opening our eyes to the reality that's there and saying and, and having inviting people in and saying, I'd like you to be part of this. And the response being, I want to be part of that. It's part of what drew me into priesthood. You know, there were wonderful men that I knew that were priests and in the seminary. And and really, when I think about that, I came to a point in my own life saying, I want to be part of that. I want to be able to live. I want to be able to to share the joy that they experience. And somebody say, well, isn't it a drag? Isn't it? Is it? No, it is not a drag. I enjoy what I do, and I still do after close to 40 years. There's something to that. That's creating a culture of life. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if what we as a parish would begin to do that more? That holy angels would be seen more and more as a group of people that were people of joy, a people of hope, a people of welcoming, a people. It's one of the reasons why, as you know, I say pretty much at every Mass, all are welcome here. Mm -hmm. And people, some people get sick of that, but others, you know, recognize, I mean that. I mean that. I mean, it's not just a trite saying because I, I want to be trendy. I want people to know that they are indeed welcome here. That if we could do that more and more and more by everything we said and everything we do. Well, and if we just follow the love your neighbor as yourself, that's a, I mean, you love someone the way you love your family, then yes. you're going to treat them differently, which means that would that would be a whole huge it would be. effect. 
and it would change people mm -hmm. because they would know. And we know, I expect you know people as well as I, who once they have experienced that kind of treatment and that kind of love, changes their lives around. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're absolutely perfect, but it changes their life in such a way. Is that, uh, you know, that we talk about in church circles during Lent, particularly metanoia, you know, conversion. Well, metanoia is not just, you know, turning, you might say, from just something. It's, it's literally, it's walking in one way and making a 180 degree turn and walking in a new way. That's metanoia. It's not just veering off to the side. It's walking in the opposite direction because you know this is what will bring life as opposed to where you were headed. That is life changing in, in all sorts of ways. So our response then becomes our own actions. So we can talk about, you know, we can talk about conserving, but it's, as Hannah was mentioning, it's using, no longer using, let's say, plastic bottles. It's no longer using plasticware um, and, and paper plates. It's no longer using, you know, picking up trash, recycling, simple things. Mm -hmm. But I know people in my life that, that are very serious about that. And it makes me want to be more serious about it too. I might not go to the extreme that they do, mm -hmm. but I know I am better at it now than I was before I met these folks. And that's the way it should be. I hope people are better after they have met me when it comes to church than maybe before they met me. It's that response that we have. As it's, it's oftentimes attributed to, to St. Francis, but it says, you know, preach always, only when necessary, use words. We use a lot of words. Actions speak louder yes. than words. And I've those, heard that. Yeah. <laughs> and those actions, you know, those actions can bring about conversion. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that was so key to Jesus. He just didn't talk about, you know, love your enemy. He loved his enemy. He didn't just talk about, you know, doing good to those who hate you or do harm to you. He did it. Um, that spoke volumes. I mean, I think part of it, too, is the way we talk to ourselves and one another. Yes. It's, it's so commonplace for people to go, oh, that's terrible. That looks terrible. I'm ugly. This is wrong with me. I, where if we just change the mindset and the way we talk about ourselves and each other, just that little change will change how we think. We'll start changing how Absolutely. we talk to people and that... Just that in and of itself can be a huge, huge thing. Huge, huge difference. You know, what can happen when we do those, so do those simple tasks. And so it really starts with us. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about the magic, the magic of creating a culture of life starts with us as an individual. It's, it's not a political movement. It's, it's not trying to vote something. It's not trying to... Those can all be helpful, you might say. But what will really change something is when we have convinced people that this is better than what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They are better than what they can be. Um, and that it's all rooted in their inherent value as, as a child of God. So it's, it's really got to start on an individual basis. As you said, you know, to wake up in the morning and be able to say, you know, to oneself... 
God did good work today, <laughs> you know, and every day. Give thanks. You know, rather than saying, oh, God, you're looking ugly or old. <laughs> um, it's to be able to give thanks because that carries with you. Right? Just do that for a month. Like, look in the mirror mm-hmm. when you get up and say, God did a good job. See how your mindset changes. How the atmosphere in a office setting can change when somebody comes in with a cheery attitude and when someone comes in that's a real downer. And it, and the thing is, is, it just sucks the energy out of us. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, someone with a positive attitude and approach. And this isn't naivete. This is a genuine approach to to living. Mm -hmm. How much different of an atmosphere it can create in everybody. Everybody. It starts with us. So the magic is... Starting at the very beginning with ourselves. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry. Makes a difference. I know. And so to... And that's, that's part of the, 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 the responsibility, again, going back to a little bit of what we spoke about last week, that it's a responsibility that we all have to engage, to challenge, to live and love, and to do that every single day. won't mean we won't have bad days, but we hope they have more good days than bad days. I mean, Jesus even killed a fig tree. So obviously well, he true. had some bad days. Gotta figure that but the gospel, <laughs> in general, are good days. <laughs> so. Minus the crucifixion. But you know, everything else is pretty good. So starts right here. Starts with us. Starts with us. And, and when it starts with us, we begin in little ways or big ways to create that culture of life. You can begin to create that culture of life this very moment. I can also. We can begin to create that culture of life, you know, as when we go home today or when we go back to our office or when we get up tomorrow morning. We begin to create that culture of life mm-hmm. in subtle ways, sometimes not so much, but it begins to change and it begins to make a difference. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Start that culture of life. Yes, Do every it. one of us. Here every we go. It'll be a wave of amazing when that happens. All right, that is a great way, a little philosophical at the beginning, but we got there on how to do the culture of life. Anything else? Nope, that's about it we have right now. All right, well, we are gonna leave it there then, and we will see you next time.